Uh, thank you to Max. Uh, good to see everyone today. Um, I have the opportunity to share with you this next week in our uh, series on miracles. And so if you'll take out or look on the screen for just a moment, uh, the Word of God will be there for you. And we look at a probably a very familiar miracle, but something I hope today you walk away with something that encourages and challenges you. All right, uh, this is from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. This is God's Word. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we're grateful for you. Father, thank you for your word. May our hearts and eyes be open to your grace, Father. Lord, as we deal with things in our life that are challenging, huge obstacles, things that we would never have chosen, may we, in the midst of that storm, find faith, trust, hope, security, and grace in you. Father, you love us and you care for each one of us. You know everything about us so intimately. Today, I pray that we know even more of what it means to be yours. And we ask these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. I love this passage. I, I think it's quite interesting because it's something that many of us, if you have any connection uh, to church or the biblical stories, you have heard about Jesus calming the storm. Um, I like to look at art uh, before I do a sermon. I like to see what the, the masters of sorts would, would paint. And I enjoyed very much a couple of artists. Um, Raphael had a picture. Um, Delacroix, if I say that name right, um, probably not, but had a very amazing painting. Um, Rembrandt, uh, who I found I just enjoyed so much looking at the painting that he did of this scene. And one of the things that really came out to me as I was looking at these is how each one of the boats in the paintings were different because nobody really knew what boats at the Sea of Galilee looked like at that time. And so they each painted based off of how they read scripture, what they visually thought it would look like. Well, that changed in the summer of 1986. There were two men that were walking along the lake bed during, in the mid-80s in Israel, there was a massive, massive drought. And since the Sea of Galilee is where most of the fresh water comes for the neighboring cities, they were pumping it out. It wasn't really returning, so the exposed lake bed became a place that people could walk, drive their cars, and other things. 
two men one day were walking and they noticed something in the mud that both of them realized right away was something of significance. They called Israeli antiquities and, and, and reported what they had found. They came out and they looked at it and they said, this is possibly a boat, an ancient boat. So they called the number one resource in the world from uh, Texas A&M University who dealt with underwater excavations and archaeology, a guy named Shelley Washman. He flew out to this portion of Israel and he looked at it and he said, not only is this ancient, this would be the first boat ever found in the Sea of Galilee. So over the next period of time, they excavated this boat out and essentially spent the next 10 years um, reestablishing it and, and making sure that people could see. And what you learn from that boat is several very interesting things. First off, this boat, when radiocarbon dating is done, it's done to about 40 to 80 years around the time of Jesus's ministry. Now, there's no connection to Jesus specific, just the time period, but in many ways, this boat has become called the Jesus boat or the boat from the Sea of Galilee. And as they reestablish what the structure looks like, they learned a lot about the way that boats were built at this time. And to be honest with you, there is a YouTube video from the, um, the University of Chicago and Texas A&M um, on YouTube that goes through all of this. It's an hour and 20 minutes, and if you so are inclined, you can add another one of the views to that YouTube channel. Uh, I, I, I was number 24, so just so you know, it's very popular. But they go through this video and they explain how it was built. And, and I was mesmerized. I went down a rabbit hole. I feel like now as somewhat of an authority on ancient boats after watching this hour-long program. But when I went through it and I watched this and the way it was built, and 12 different types of trees were used in this boat. It was repaired over and over again. It was put together in such a way that to keep the water out, what they would do is once the planks were set, they would sit it in the water. And as it sat in the water for a significant period of time, water would enter those timbers, they would swell, and that was how they waterproofed their boats. I came away with, I don't know that I would want to be out on a body of water in something that was built like this. The disciples get in this boat and this was most of their everyday adventure. This was their life. This was their career. Because as fishermen, they would go out into that huge lake, Sea of Galilee, and they would go out, and the way the geography is of this uh, particular body of water is it is prone to very fierce and wicked torment, uh, tempests. So they would go out, and they would go out, and every day they probably and had to have known that this was somewhat of a precarious situation. They knew of other people that were in the community who had gone out and not come back. They knew that there were occupational hazards to their life, and when they went out into that body of water, there was a lack of control that they had over things. These are the fishermen that go out on this boat with Jesus that day, and automatically, I believe, they knew they were not in control. When we look at this miracle, control is one of the major themes that's here. You see the chaos that the storm brings. You see the disciples completely out of control. But then you see something coming out of the chaos. You see the power of Jesus 
to do something that was unfathomable to them. Because out of the chaos comes, I think, something very important for us today. But when we think about the word control, I think it conjures up a lot of thoughts in our mind. Because as modern people, there is a belief, and I would say an illusion, that we as people can control things. I mean, automatically, most of us like to control things. We like to keep things somehow in order. But then when things start to feel getting out of control, we essentially go through, I would say, very tumultuous points in our life when we realize how little we're actually in control of. See, back then, I believe the disciples knew that their boat was pretty rickety, that there were some really precarious moments for them. And I want us to see today and just think a little bit about our attempts to control things. We hope, we think we can control our health, we can control our relationships, we can control our families, our finances, our job, but sometimes we realize we're just completely out of control. And hitting those moments creates huge places of anxiety, stress, difficulty, and challenge for us as people. And I think it is a modern problem the way that we believe we have control. We think we do until we're faced with a moment that we don't. We as people crave control, and when we don't have it or we feel out of control, we feel an enormous amount of stress. And I look at the disciples, and this must have been an incredible storm. For fishermen who this was their career and their job to get out onto the lake and to have this amount of stress, this kind of storm over top of them, you see that they're probably faced with their top couple of fears that they could possibly come up with. This is what they were afraid of. This is what, if you were a fisherman, you knew that this day may come and possibly would come and this might be your last day. So they start to fight the storm. And I thought Rembrandt's painting of this was so interesting because literally the boat is being captivated almost, but looks like a, a hand coming up out of the water. They were in the moment that they thought this might be it. Their fear was huge. And then we think a little bit about Jesus. There he is. He's inside of the boat. And I think it's almost kind of comical because not only is he asleep, Mark tells us that he had a cushion as well, all right? There's Jesus down there. I mean, we're about ready to die. Jesus is asleep, all right? And the disciples come to him, and I think that they say something so important that I think you and I can both agree on that we have felt this way. The way that they approach Jesus and the thing that they say says something very much about us as people. Look at what they say. In verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Teacher, don't you care? And I want you to think about for just a second. We have that modern issue of control. When you realize that you're out of control and you can't fix things and you can't make them better and you feel desperate, you feel weak, you feel on that fringe, you, you feel limbic, all of those kinds of things, when you feel that and you turn to God in that moment, what is it that sometimes we say as people? God, don't you care? 
Don't you care about the situation I'm in? Don't you see the problem? Because I think sometimes we approach our faith, we, we approach being a believer as, if I believe in God, then there are certain things that should not, cannot, and will not happen to me. And when those things start to happen, then all of a sudden, there's a breakdown. There's a breakdown in our faith, there's a breakdown in our trust, and it pretty much exposes us in that moment to who we are and, and really where we're at as people. And when the disciples come to Jesus, they say, don't you care? All right, don't, don't you care? And it's such something, I know that I have said this many times. I mean, God, like, it seems like that in the place I'm at and, and my faith and everything else, I shouldn't be dealing with this. It shouldn't be here. And I want you to see today how Jesus deals with the disciples. And the way that he works with them, the way that he encourages them, the way he even rebukes them, is to direct them to see something else. Because when we're in those moments, what do we see? We see our circumstances, and our circumstances become so big that they become the biggest thing in our life. They become our absolute focus. And Jesus here with the disciples changes the focus. But he does so in such a way that I think it's so important that we connect with this. He gets up and he goes there and he calms not just the wind, but he also calms the waves. All right? And think about this just for a second. If the winds got calm, you could probably say, I guess it just passed. All right? There, there's an explanation. That, that, that weather front was gone. The other option is when you see that he also calmed the waves, we know that that doesn't happen automatically. Waves carry so much energy, and it takes a while for that energy to dissipate. In Jesus speaking, he speaks both to the wind and he speaks to the waves, and he essentially says, and it's very nice how it says in our text here, it says, quiet, be still. But essentially what it is, I took it much harsher when I read it, as it's literally this, shut up. Stop now. And you know what? It listens. Now, think about this just for a second. This is very much Jesus communicating to the disciples and to you who he is. This is him saying, this is who I am. Because to the Jewish men that were on that boat, they could think back to all the things that they had learned over in a significant period of time of their life spent learning about God. And if you reach back into God's word and you look at things like Exodus and Ezekiel and you see moments where God specifically changes the weather or quells the weather from what it's doing. I mean, think for just a moment, the story of Moses leading the people oh, across the, dead, uh, the Red Sea and those, those, there were literally walls of water. It was a miracle that even the Egyptians said, oh no, the Lord, and they used the specific name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh is in charge. He is on their side. See, you've got to think like the disciples for just a moment. When Jesus then does this miracle, they realize this is no ordinary person because nobody can do this. In fact, not just nobody only God himself could do this. Because when they look back over scripture, and Worth used Psalm 107 today, and there's a beautiful picture of this in here, it's God that changes the weather. It is God that changes it. 
And here when Jesus does it, he is identifying and he's saying, this is who I am. I am God. Not less than God the Father, not less than the Spirit. The Trinity is made up of three persons. And in this moment, Jesus is there and the disciples, you see how things change. Look, up at the top, they're afraid of dying. You get to the bottom, they're not afraid anymore. They're terrified. You would think that the answer to their prayer, their, the, the miracle would solve the problem, all right? But they go from being afraid to now they're out of their minds terrified because they realize that the person that is in front of them is God himself. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and it hit them in that moment. I want you to consider this for just a moment. You realize in Scripture there are a few times that people come in contact with the glory and power of God. A few times. Moses does, Ezekiel does, there's a few other examples. And every single time they come in contact with God's glory and power and presence, they are absolutely floored and terrified. It is a frightening experience, the power of God. And the reason the disciples here are terrified is because they have literally come in contact with God and they know it in this moment. See, I want us to think for just a second. Jesus isn't just saying, I have the power. He is saying, I am power. I literally can do what no other person could do. It's not explainable. It's not something that can be just relegated away which is sometimes the emphasis of so many people is to try to take miracles and say, well, there must be some logical conclusion. And that's our hearts, I think, wanting so badly to retain that same control that costs us so much at other points. It's our desire to say it's explainable. There's some other way. There's, there's another explanation for this. But here are the disciples, and it's interesting, the story tells us there are other boats there too, all right? If you're going to lie about something, don't invite a lot of people, all right? Okay, there are other boats there too, all right? And this is obvious that this is not just anybody. This isn't just some man. This is literally God. There's another part of this. You see that Jesus leads the disciples into the storm. Do you see that at the beginning? He says, we're going to go to the other side. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be going across. Literally, there is something here that I think is... It's, it's hard for us to swallow. It's difficult. And it's this, that there are in our lives going to be unmanageable. Like, there are going to be things that we have absolutely no control over. There are going to come into our lives challenges, and I would say to connect with this, storms in our life that you and I absolutely cannot manage on our own. All right? It's a reality. And anybody that tells you differently and preaches some kind of prosperity that if you become a believer, like your life will be somewhat, your, your, your life is going to be like the smooth water, all right? It's, it's going to be smooth sailing. Um, it's going to be good. It's going to be simple. This is not the case. We as people need in some ways to address our expectation of being believers, we need to address those things that we've adopted thinking, hey, this is going to be simple. This is going to be something that, that I, I have found a route to make my life more comfortable. I have found a way to navigate this world with as little discomfort as possible. And that's just not the case. 
The reality of this is that each one of the disciples would face immense pressure and incredible difficulty in their lives. But here we see that Jesus does something else. And you see the way that he talks to them. He says this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I look at the disciples and I want to say like kind of broker something here, you know? Like, of course they're afraid. They think they're going to die, right? But what Jesus is directing them at is don't forget what's bigger than the storm. Don't forget what's bigger than the things that come into your life that you think are insurmountable, all right? Don't think for just a moment that you were uh, designed and created to go through these things alone. You cannot. These was, the design was this, is that Jesus, the one who can calm the sea, the one who can take on what I would say is the ultimate storm, that one, he takes on for you. And he says this, the whole point of him being here on earth was to go to the cross. And at the cross, I think you see the ultimate, most intense tempest you can imagine. If this squall was big to the disciples, there's no way to describe what Jesus goes through at the cross. He takes him on himself there, the full wrath of God. And he takes upon him in the ultimate storm the punishment that you and I deserved. On the cross there, he takes it all on him. And you know what? Just as true as it is for us that we take on storms in our life and there are huge difficulties, notice this, that Jesus did not spare himself from going through the most wicked storm that is fathomable. He took it upon himself. And he says this, he takes on the ultimate storm and the answer to the question of the disciples of, do you care? Do you care about our situation? Do you care about the circumstances that we literally feel like we're going to lose our life? That this is our last day. Do you care? The answer is this. If Jesus cares about the ultimate storm and puts himself through it and gives himself for us, he cares about those storms as well. And as we go through them, we realize, just as the disciples don't go through this storm alone, that we don't go through it alone either. See, the beautiful picture of this miracle is you learn who Jesus is. You see his identity. The curtain is literally pulled back. And the miracle that is done changes fear into being terrified all right? It's always a shame when the miracle happens and the result is worse than what you had before, right? But here you see Jesus. Here you see him. He, you see his identity, but you see the plan as well. You see the plan coming out because Jesus would take the storm upon himself. And the captivity that we are under in our brokenness and sin, at, at the cross, he does the work there. At the resurrection, he provides us hope. And he gives us the freedom of repentance of asking for forgiveness, of knowing that there's no way to, to God the Father, there's no way to Christ but through what he did on the cross. He's very emphatic that it is the only way. And he gives his life there, and that's what provides hope. And I want to encourage you with this. I don't know the storms of your life. I know mine, all right? I, I've dealt with some things that have been, there are times where, very honestly, I would have been the worst of the disciples on that boat that day. God, please, please, please do something. We have been there. 
I have been there. You have been there. And I don't know what those stories are in your life or if it's a current thing that you're going through. But I want to encourage you with this. Look to this. Look to this. If Christ takes the ultimate storm upon himself, he cares deeply about that storm, that life moment, the huge challenge, that difficulty, that hurt, that betrayal, the the brokenness that you are and that you are experiencing. He cares deeply about it because this isn't the only story in Scripture. You see the relationships that he has with people. You see the way and compassion that he cares for people. And the answer to the disciples' question is, yes, I care. But the mission is going to the cross. See, this is all about him. And this is about the way that he joined his people together. The way he bought for our, the price that we could not pay. This is the beauty of what he is doing. And he is showing you who he is. And it's power. And you see his power at the same time as you see his incredible love and care. And in one person that could exist, fully God and fully man. And I just want to encourage you with this today. You will go through things. There's a reality. But I think there's a beautiful thing too, is that it's in the storm that the disciples learn what? What is it in the storm that they learn? They learn who Jesus is. That day, if that Sea of Galilee had been so beautiful like a mirror, and Jesus had told them, I did this for you, and it'll be smooth sailing, they don't learn who he is. They don't learn what he's capable of. They don't learn just why he came. In the storm, sometimes we learn the hardest of lessons, but sometimes the most rich, sometimes the most, like, ones that we actually hold on to when we realize what we have been through and who got us through that storm, that difficulty, that stress, that problem, the thing that we realize we were completely out of control, we realize who ultimately is in control. Let's pray. Father, you love us and you care for us. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Lord, as we lift up our voices to sing, Lord, may our hearts and our eyes be opened. May we think just a little bit Father, when we go through these difficulties in life, these massive challenges, and those may be very small words to describe massive problems. Father, I never want to minimize or, or relegate somebody's story to just, just pray harder or just have trust, just have faith. Father, the, those things don't bring peace. They don't bring calm. Father, you do as you walk with us, as you encourage us. Lord, help us today. Help us to to fight that urge to always try to be in control. But to Lord, to know this, that you are the one that calms the sea, you control the weather. Lord, that there are difficulties and stresses that come. Uh, Father, give us eyes to see. Lord, help us to see that we're, we're not cruising through this life alone. Lord, that you carry us through it. And we ask these things in your son's precious and holy name.